Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Punch, Kick, Choke, Chat. My name is Sean Benson. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm coming to you for the last time for this trip from Los Angeles. I always say what time it is. I got that from my dad. He always leaves me voice messages and tells me what time it is. So it's 5.30 in Los Angeles today, and I'm so happy to be with you wherever you're talking to us from. It's such a pleasure to have you with us. We're talking to Sensei Gary Hales tonight, and as always with our new format, we like to start out with a, with a question just to get the conversation rolling. So Sensei Hales, you know, right as I was logging in, I was really digging the chat that you and Hanshi were having, especially outline for our listeners and our viewers what you consider to be the major difference or differences between Japanese and Okinawan karate as we know it. Oh, they're fundamentally different. Um, Okinawan karate is cultural. It's uh, uh, practically oriented. Uh, it's not sport oriented. Uh, there is a modern sport version of it. Really, Okinawa karate is uh, reality-based and karate-based, whereas Japanese karate is uh, grafted onto kendo to make it a sport. And they like, JKA people like to deny that it's a sport, and yet they practice sport uh, extensively. So talk to us about the grafting onto kendo, about how that, how that you know, came about and, and how that made it more sportive. Well, kendo's a... Uh, modern version. Well, I not, I don't want to talk about kendo in front of Sensei Suino, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it was already established as a sport when karate hit the shores of Japan, and uh, so was judo and uh, modern sports. Modern post Meiji Restoration uh, martial arts became sports, and uh, so the footwork of Okinawa karate, which was rather static, like Chinese martial arts, uh, didn't lend itself to rapid movements. Uh, and the kendo footwork is just so ideal for it, uh, for distancing and time. Oh, a distance has changed. Uh, uh, Shoran Ruk or Okinawa karate has done at much closer range. Uh, most Japanese karates are done at much longer range. Kyokushin, Kai, Wado, Shito, and Shotokan are all done at uh, kicking range. At my same distance, almost the same distance as uh, with the sword. And so I want to uh, crack open before we go a bit around the horn on this conversation. Uh, you mentioned something interesting, the post-Meiji Restoration. So maybe talk a bit about that and why you think after the Meiji Restoration that these types of changes did get implemented. Well, the Tokugawa were uh, a very old... Uh, political entity, closed country, uh, no innovation, no progress. And the Meiji Restoration brought modern modernity and the world to uh, Japan. And, um, and uh, there were no more samurai, for instance, samurai were uh, lost their status. And, um, and so they tried to convert uh, traditional martial arts into modern martial arts. Don Drager was a lot better at explaining that than I am. <laughs> well, right they, tried, they actually changed Do. No, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say they changed uh, uh, Budo into Bujutsu. That's not, not, not a real way of saying it. That's a bad way of saying it. It's inaccurate. They changed it. 
right on. Well, we'll go around the horn a bit on this. We'll we'll go to you, Sensei Suino, Sensei Dofa, and then you, Hanchi Legacy. So, Sensei Suino, you know, where does that, um, you know, swordsmanship going to kendo, like, what was that change historically that you can think of, and why? Well, I don't know that I can talk all that intelligently on it. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with sword arts, uh, including kendo, and from a from a distance, you can definitely see the stylistic. Uh, uh, approach that Okinawan karate takes versus Japanese karate. Um, I get a little training in uh, modern Japanese, uh, all Japan karate do federation sparring from uh, one of my instructors in Japan. And it does remind me of Kendo, but I did not know that specific historical development that Sensei Hale is talking about. So um, I can babble on about it, or we can let somebody smarter than me tell you what the real answer is. <laughs> well, I know he won't let you say he's smarter, but Sensei Dolphin, where do you go with that? Well, I, where do I go with it? I studied it in university. So I, the Meiji restoration, I understand it fairly clearly. And I understand the uh, pivotal figures around it. You know, the modernization was because Commodore Perry showed up there with a gunship on year two and started firing cannons into the city. And they realized that their samurai swords couldn't stop that. And then they realized that, okay, we need to modernize quickly. And they did fast. So martial arts was only one of the things they were modernizing fast. They made railroads fast. They put electricity into the country fast. They modernized their education system quick. And they went globally, not only to the United States, but to lots of other countries and tried to cherry pick all the best of countries to modernize their country and catch up as quickly as martial arts wasn't immune to that modernization, right? It, it was it was really a big part of it. And two pivotal figures would have been Jigeru Kano and Itosu Yatsutsune. And Itosu Yatsutsune had gone to Japan to fight against judo people. Jigeru Kano had modernized jujitsu scientifically. That's a word that you hear a lot. They had made martial arts scientific, right? Scientific. Judo is the scientific version of jujitsu where they took a lot of the dangerous techniques out. Well, Itosu got on the bandwagon really quick because he realized, well, we don't want karate to be a second-class citizen in this martial arts world that's that's coming up. He was enamored by Jigeru Kano. Funakoshi played a big part in that. And that's where that whole scientific do element of from jitsu to do 1868, Meiji Restoration, and a few decades after that, and things were much, much different. Um, than they were they were before that and i mean thank goodness for all of us who who knows if we any of us would be training right now in these arts if that hadn't happened thanks sensei dolphin hanchi legacy where do you go with you know japanese karate okinawan karate and any of the changes that came about well that's a good question i guess um the other thing i wanted to say about the japanese the mistake that commodore perry and the boys did is they dropped a, a gun there and you know what the Japanese do? They just pick it up and copy it and then make it better. At one time, at the very beginning, uh, things from Japan were cheap. And now everybody looks for things made in Japan because they have such fine quality. But talking about martial arts, I, I will go along with uh, Gary when he was saying that it was, um, it was ground level. Okinawa karate was ground level. They actually used it 
to defend themselves against the samurai or anyone else, your neighbor. And um, Japan took uh, Japan took karate and changed its name, uh, the Japanese people. Whereas, <clears throat> and then it sort of started to become that sport karate, like Gary didn't want to turn off to because we have a lot of respect for the Olympics and most of the um, Olympians that you see do Shotokan karate. It's very entertaining, very deadly, but uh, unlike Shorinru, it was a killing art. It, it's, uh, you can defend yourself by punching somebody in the face, but the Okinawans would uh, sever your nerves, punch you in the neck, break your legs, because it was a ground level self-defense thing. They never had those guns. And so the real heart of karate is still there because of Matsumura. And because uh, karate Sakugawa was the per first person to do uh, karate. Matsumura was the first guy to um, bring in a style to, in that sense, modernize it. And then Itosu was the guy who brought all that forth. In the, in the phrase of uh, one of my black belts, uh, Matsumura built the car or the style, and Itosu drove the car or brought it out to the world. And it's still to this day, in my opinion, the deadliest art without a weapon or anything. It's the heart and soul. Shoranru is the heart and soul of any martial art. Any martial artist today will trace themselves back to Matsumura. Thanks, Hanchi. Sensei Hales, is there any button you want to put on that before we go to our introductions? Well, I, I might say that uh, even though the Tokugawa was a really repressive regime, there was impetus for change, especially uh, um, amongst the people from the South, the Satsuma. Uh, and Japan was ready to change when the Americans came. And that's why they embraced it so quickly, why they modernized so quickly. And uh, the, the kind of karate they do in Japan uh, is heavily influenced by the, the, the German teachers that they got for phys ed. The idea of lining up, uh, having formal classes, uh, uh, doing calisthenics before, those are things that weren't done in Okinawa. It would be one or two people. You would go to the dojo and train, and the, the teacher would correct you sometimes, or your seniors would correct you. And uh, even in Nagamini's dojo, the hours were, some people showed up at 6.30, some people showed up at 5.30, some people showed up at 7.30. If, if you show up at 7.01 for a class in Tokyo that starts at 7, you're not getting in. <laughs> <laughs> you might get a slap too. <laughs> yeah, so the, the that order of things was different. I that's that's such an awesome bit of info and it explains why I love both the formality of the way we do our karate because my mom was chairman and so <laughs> that lining up but I also doing Okinawan karate love that looseness that let's say BJJ has. So makes a lot of sense why I love my arts and why they're structured the way they are. Um, ladies and gentlemen, 
This is our opening to punch, kick, choke, chat. And I'm here with my senseis. Now, I actually haven't mentioned the ranks in a while because we've tried to, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm here with Sensei Dolphin, who's a seventh degree black belt and a fourth degree black belt in um, his karate and sword arts. And Sensei Suino, who's an eighth degree black belt in his sword and a sixth degree in his grappling arts. And Hanchi Gary Legacy, who is a 10th degree black belt in uh, his karate styles. And the reason I want to say that is because, you know, I started this martial art 30 years ago, and those ranks did not exist in Canada whatsoever. And as far as I know, I don't know who was doing what in the States. And I just want to say how absolutely privileged we are to be among people who just keep training and just keep advancing and just keep growing to a level so far beyond our imaginations when everyone on this call began. So, um, I like that we've moved away from those super formal introductions, but I, I think it's nice tonight to remember how hard and how long we've all trained and how hard fought our knowledge is over time. So Sensei Dofen. Thanks, Ben. I uh, just want to say, because it's legit and it's important to mention is that Sensei Legacy is also a Shodan uh, black belt level in Iaido underneath Sensei Suino and spent a lot of time in that martial art and is still if the pictures uh, are not fake, if Sensei Suino didn't draw that picture, Sensei Legacy was just there last Friday, like six days ago, training Iaido with Sensei Suino, which is, I am so excited about. Uh, but I get to introduce Sensei Gary Hills. I'm honestly super excited about this. Normally, I do a lot of research and write a lot of things. And uh, I didn't, Sensei Hills, I didn't write that much stuff. I do have some things for people to know, you know, uh, Sensei Hales goes back to in Canada over 50 years of uh, training. All the people you hear us mention, like uh, Benny Allen and Bob Delgleish and Bill Hines, he is, and Sensei Legacy, he's been acquainted and very close friends and training partners with those people uh, for more than five decades. A couple of things I do want to mention is that in 1979, uh, with Sensei Hind, uh, Sensei Hales, and a few others, uh, they presented the Robert Delgleish Memorial Tournament, which raised $4,000. And they did that in an endeavor to get a, a memorial stone for his, his gravesite. Um, at that tournament, Sensei Legacy was the one who won the fighting division. And uh, Sensei Talek, who we know, and had he won the Kata division, right? So just a bit of history about how far uh, Sensei Hales goes back with us. Um, in the 80s, Sensei Hales, Cesar Burkowski, and Sensei Hine formed an association called the Southern Ontario Karate Association. And that was a, an association for just basically teaching and sharing their styles of karate with each other and the people who wanted to join in on that. Um, another person that's a really good friend of all of ours is Sensei Wilfred Sratton. And in 1990, he began training and teaching with Sensei Hales. Uh, at his club, Toronto Shokuken uh, Karate Dojo. And we've all trained there. And I've been down in that basement. I've trained there lots of times. Love that club, Sensei Hales. Like, love what you did there and what you set up there. Um, I also just want to mention that Sensei Hales is a retired uh, firefighter. Um, so he's a frontline supporter. And uh, we always appreciate those things. I always give my own personal thoughts and I want to say I've been in karate with Sensei Legacy, only with Sensei Legacy. He's my only karate instructor for 34 years. This is my 34th year. And in my first year, 
in my very first karate tournament is when I met Sensei Hales, <laughs> my very first one. And two people that really stood out to me at that tournament were Hanchi Cesar Burkowski and Sensei Gary Hales. Those two people in that first year left an indelible impression on my mind. As a yellow belt, I fought my way to the finals against somebody in Northern Karate. And before that, outside of the ring, I can't remember. I, I don't even want to butcher the name of the school, but there was a person fighting, and I think they were fighting a Legacy Shoranru white belt. And the fight was going on and on. And we were fighting like white and yellow belts fight. Shitty, right? Like we were fighting <laughs> crap, right? So, um, so this one person from the school that I can't remember, I can't remember the name, um, kept like doing kind of shitty techniques and falling down and throwing a kick and falling down and kind of dancing around and really cocky. And people weren't calling his points. And specifically, Sensei Hills wasn't calling his points. And then I remember finally said he threw a good technique after like 300 techniques, he threw one good one. And Sensei Hills gave the flag to him because uh, George de Guzman was the center referee. So Sensei Hills threw the flag up. And this idiot looked over and said, it's about time, meaning it's about time you <laughs> for me. Well, that was the best lesson for anybody standing within the, the zip code of London, Ontario. Because <laughs> Sensei Hales yelled out with his big booming voice, what did you say to me? <laughs> and as soon as he said that, the guy like, I don't know, there was a puddle of piss. He was trying to lift the floorboards up so he could crawl underneath the... And then he just proceeded to really loud say, do you want me to call points when you throw a technique and you fall down? Do you want me to call points? And, and that guy, I'm sure, wished he had never said anything. <laughs> but the entire room of Alumni Hall, which is a very big gymnasium, we all learned a valuable lesson that day, which is you do not speak back to a corner referee or a center referee. You, your job is to fight <laughs> and you just be quiet and you fight. And since that moment, I have always respected Sensei Hills. He's always been in my mind as a very serious person who re really cared about karate and wanted things to be right. And I'm really proud that that happened at my very first tournament. I'm really proud that I got to know him. And I'm really proud that at our last tournament, like my first tournament and the last tournament we just did, he was at the last one we just did. Um, so that's my introduction for him, Benz. But before, I don't want to have the final word because since Legacy and Sensei Hales go back for, like I said, over, over five decades. So I want to throw out the Sensei Legacy for a minute and just hear his, his thoughts on Sensei Hales. And we're very excited to have you here, Sensei Hales. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, it's, um, it sort of happened when Harold Warden, who was my original teacher, uh, retired. We'll just say he retired. And he sent me, he paid for a year for me to go and train with Benny Allen. So I was, I really appreciated that. And so Benny Allen became my teacher. And Gary Hales was, I believe, already a black belt at that time. And um, there was something that he liked about us i'm guessing he's there he can tell you <laughs> something that he liked about us maybe our work ethics or how good looking i was or whatever it was but uh, he at almost every weekend 
would take a train to London. We would pick him up. He would train for us for the weekend and then he would go back. He'd do that maybe once or twice, maybe three times a month for the longest time just to catch us up. And uh, we had some very interesting uh, matches. He would come in and teach us stuff and John and Pearson and I would practice it. When he came back, we tried to use it on him. <laughs> so um, he was uh, very instrumental in setting me on the right road in sense to Benny Allen's uh, Ojo, which, you know, incorporated Wally Soki, Tony Fusetti, all those guys. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Gary. That's awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're really happy if you're here with us on the Zoom chat, and I'll get to that in a sec. And if you're watching this on YouTube, either live or later, hit that subscribe, like button, share with your friends. The sharing, especially the word of mouth, has been really great, especially with our new website, punchkickchokechat.com. It's really awesome how that's all expanding. You're using that suggestion button on that site which uh, lets us know what guests you think might be great to come on. And we've already got people on from that. We've got a new book section that's going to be expanding. So we're really excited about the way you're engaging with our platforms and on the podcast as well. If you're driving or listening to this, we're really happy you're here. But if you're live with us on the Zoom chat, you get the benefit of being part of this living history. And at the bottom, there's the chat button. You fire your questions into that. And if your question isn't crap, we'll ask it of our guest. And uh, we love when those questions come in because it really stimulates the conversation. And um, with that, I'm going to turn the conversation back to our guest. Oh, Sensei Dofan, pardon me. Absolutely. Yeah, I just, we we do want to mention that uh, we lost uh, one of the greats of karate and martial arts, uh, Sensei Nobetsu, uh, passed away. And I just want, if Sensei Suino wants to say, like, I was privileged to have the opportunity to train with him a half a dozen times. And uh, tonight uh, here, when we did our class, we did our class in memorial of Sensei Nobetsu. I told a couple of my personal stories about him and I asked everybody to train really hard in his honor. And Sensei Suino, what do you want to say about Sensei Nobetsu before we get back to Sensei Hills? Well, he was truly a pioneer in karate. Um, almost an 80-year uh, karate career. He has trained thousands of students in Tokyo and around the world. He was part of the International Martial Arts Federation out of Tokyo um, and uh, uh, was instrumental in building that organization and building a worldwide group of martial artists dedicated to classical martial arts. Um, I was lucky enough to train with him a number of times while I lived in Japan and um, as I traveled. And when he came here, uh, always, always a phenomenal training experience. So many times, you know, we take a train out to his dojo in Saitama at three in the afternoon and drag ourselves out to get food and beer at nine at night. And he was there for the entire six hours, standing in front of the class, teaching, showing us kata, telling us, you know, how to get better. Uh, just an amazing experience. Um, and as you noted, Randy, uh, his two favorite things were karate and good alcoholic drinks. Uh, one of my favorite experiences with him was at a, a martial arts event in Florida where I happened to bring a bottle of very good whiskey. And when he found out about it, he was, uh, he was very eager to spend time in my presence. And uh, when we started, that bottle was sealed. And when we stopped, the bottle was empty. And nevertheless, 
at eight in the morning when I set foot in the dojo again, I saw him across the way and he, in a booming voice, he's like, Sweeno, that was awesome. Now let's train. <laughs> so um, I just have so many great memories of that guy. And, uh, uh, and I'm just one of thousands of people who can, who can tell you stories about him. I, the martial arts world, I'm indebted to him, but the martial arts world is indebted to him for uh, to what Goju Ryu is today. And uh, I'm just uh, uh, interested and uh, intending to try to continue to grow his legacy from here on forward. Thanks, Sensei Sweeno. Sensei Hales, what was it like for you growing up and what brought you into your first dojo? Uh, my brother-in-law. Uh, karate was pretty well unheard of in the mid-1960s. Uh, I know when I went to my first class, uh, I had heard that it was like judo, but you got to hit the people. And uh, I'd been <laughs> wrestling at the time. Not that I was a remarkably good wrestler. Matter of fact, I was terrible. High school wrestling. Uh, high school wrestling team. Uh, so... I was ready for a change. The fact that you can kick and punch was a real thrill. And I went and watched one night. Oh, I know. My brother-in-law started karate. And uh, he invited our teacher, Koi Wong, to our house for Christmas dinner. So here we were, 25 people and one Chinese guy who, who was on, totally unlike any other Chinese person I had met at that time. It's 1965. They'd all worked in laundromats or had a restaurant. This guy was different. Um, and so we met, I met him at Christmas dinner. My brother-in-law was really involved, like really, really liked it. And he was a character. Um, so I went to class. I went and watched the class on the 27th. I joined on the 29th. I showed up on the 31st, New Year's Eve for class. And Koi said, uh, we're not having a class tonight. <laughs> I didn't miss a class for a year and a half. Uh, yeah, that was my beginning with, with Koi Wong in Toronto, in the East End of Toronto. Koi would, had, was one of Soroka Sensei's uh, students with Benny, and uh, they were going to open a school together. Well, they did open a school together. You've probably heard of uh, Hagerman Street, which is behind City Hall. Uh, it was a, a dance hall, actually. And uh, Benny and Koi and three other Chinese guys. Did Benny introduce you to the Ng family, Gary? No. But he did talk about the Ngs, didn't he? That's Tom yes. Chinese weapons, yeah. Anyway, so those three guys and Benny and Koi opened Hagerman Street. And, uh, and then they split up. Benny went to the West End and Koi to the East End. And uh, I was with Koi. So that was my start. I really liked it. Um, yeah, I just really liked it. It was, it was good. <laughs> and he's a name that's come up for us a little. And I got, I was lucky enough to meet him um, doing research for an essay for about the history of karate in Ontario and Canada. Um, what can you tell us about him and what made you not miss a class for a year and a half? I mean, that's almost unheard of. And uh, what made you go, this is more important to me than all those other things that quickly? Well, first of all, I was a teenager. <laughs> we don't often didn't often think things out <laughs> they told you to go to class monday wednesday friday at seven you went to class monday wednesday friday at seven and saturday at, at 11 
actually we used to have a free practice on Sunday and and the dojo was open on Saturday but there were no classes uh half our dojo we had our dojo had two buildings in it and the other one was a judo dojo and they were very busy on Saturdays so I'd show up I'd be the only one practicing and the judo guys would come out and go oh you want to practice judo with us I went, sure. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> I I learned I I learned at the breakfalls I'd been doing <laughs> as a white, yellow, and orange belt. We're not up to par with uh adult judo guys. And uh, I haven't gone back to judo since, I don't think. Mm. Um, <laughs> I don't like grappling. Um, yeah, that's why I loved it so much. Um, uh, and I, of course, started going to tournaments as soon as I can, as soon as I could. Um, and I think traveling for the tournaments was, was, uh, remarkable. Um, the first one, I, big one I went to was in Buffalo and it was in the War Memorial Auditorium, which was the original home of the Buffalo Sabres. Like it was a downtown arena and, uh, we went across the border and uh, it was myself, I think Martin and Michael McNamara. I'm not sure, you know, the twin dragons. I'm not sure if it was Martin and Michael or not, but there were three of us in the car. He had a little Mustang and we get up to the window or come up to the customs guy and he goes, uh, where were you born? And you hear Tirana, 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 Canton, China, get out of the car. It was, <laughs> They did not like Chinese people from the People's Republic of China crossing the border in 1965. And they weren't going to let us in. And except for the good fortune of uh, Shane Agashi. And Ken, I don't know if you remember Ken Fisher. He was one of Shane's first black belts. Uh, they showed up in a car behind us. And for whatever reason, because they vouched for us, they let Koi into the country. They really were going to let, you know, because they assumed everybody was a spy from red China, you know. Anyways, that was pretty intriguing. And uh, in 66, we went to uh, June Rees tournament mm. in uh, Washington, which was a big event. You know, uh, Chuck Norris beat Joe Lewis. No, I'm sorry. Joe Lewis won. Joe Lewis won first place. That was his, like his debut. The first time he beat Chuck Norris. But he was an odd character, a great fighter and all that kind of stuff. But he was young then and it was, he didn't behave well. <laughs> he kicked a few people. He did that step across sidekick. I don't know if you knew he was famous for that. Originally he used to be like cross-legged the way you do in traditional karate. And he'd do this powerful sidekick and throw people out of the ring and hurt their arms and such. But if he, when he lost the, about he just had a temper tantrum like a little kid banging his hands on a mat it was not a good sign mm. uh, uh, I won a couple of fights and and uh but one of the guys from my club that was this is under black belt he he must have fought 10 fights 10 fights he kept fighting and fighting and fighting he got ended up with second place I think uh, but Washington is a quite an urban city, and oh, I know the black Muslims were there. 
there was chaos in the building. All, there were all these black people. The only quiet people were the, these big guys in suits. And uh, <laughs> everybody else would be ranting and raving, except one of those guys would step forward and they'd all be really quiet and nice. <laughs> but Edgar had to fight the guy in the ring then he had to fight his friends to get out of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> like what I say it was chaos. I'm, I'm not, I'm understating it. Except for the black Muslims who we never saw. I never, well, I'm a 16 year old kid yet. Just hadn't seen that kind of stuff, you know? You know, it was something we saw on TV, maybe. Anyways, that was a good experience. That definitely sounds like a really dynamic way to start your martial arts and keep you there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was, Coy was, uh, what do you call it? Charismatic character as well, you know, uh, mysterious and powerful and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and there was only five clubs. There was only uh, us, uh, Soroka, Kagashi, Canadian Karate Kung Fu. There's five clubs. Hung Luck, the Kung Fu Club, but they didn't compete or anything. Who was the other club? I can't remember. But there was it was a very limited, uh, very limited group, and we were all strong rivals. Mm. You know, you didn't go visit anybody else, or you came home with your head under your arm. You know. And um, because of our lineage with Hanchi Legacy and Benny Allen, what, what can you tell us about your time with him or your experiences with him? Well, in 1972, I broke my leg and was in the hospital for 100 days. And uh, Koi was never particular. <laughs> I'd been living with Koi for five years and teaching full time. And when I broke my leg, he came to the hospital once and I never saw him again. <laughs> when I finally recovered, Went back to the dojo. He, he he said someone to tell me that I didn't go there anymore. So, <laughs> so I was kind of I was yeah I was kind of dumbfounded, and uh, and fortunately for me, uh, Benny and Bill decided Benny and Bill used to change locations quite a bit, but they were always in the West End. And their their clubs didn't always stay in business, and so I guess they decided that they would try the East End of the city, and they opened up in the Beaches, which is my neighborhood. And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, to join there. It was, other than Koi, he's the only person. I paid Koi Wong membership fees. I paid Benny one fee. And the next person I paid was the JKA <laughs> in Tokyo. Uh, training with Benny was pretty good. I would, he, oh, I know. I knew I knew Bill from the tournaments, you know, fighting as a black belt in the tournaments. I'd be the only one from Wong's, but I would kind of hang around either with the Eastern guys or I'd hang around with a couple of guys from Japanese. That's it, Japanese Cultural Center. That was the other, Sam Maletsky's teacher. Um, uh, I would hang around with this guy, Wally Rudnicki, who happened to be a great big guy. So he fought in the heavyweight division. I would fight in the lightweight division and you could be friends with them without risking having to fight them, you know? Uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, that's how I knew Bill. Benny didn't know me from anything. Even <laughs> for a year, we both trained in, in Tai Chi at the same place. But Benny was the lead student, the, the best student. 
And uh, but Bill knew me, or Bill and I hung around together at Tai Chi. Anyway, so as soon as I got to Benny's, uh, I had an afternoon shift job at that time. I left college and uh, was working in the evenings. And so Benny had me teach the day classes. Matter of fact, school's first class was with me. School, Batrax? Yes. <laughs> There's like five or six or seven people in the class at the daytime, you know, and I'm going by this guy and I'm, he's a white belt. I'm trying to teach them stuff. And I, I go, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> it turned out he was already a yellow belt from uh, Hatashita uh, Jiu-Jitsu. But um, it caught my eye the first day he was there. Hmm. And um, how did that training with Benny Allen differ than Kwai Wong? Oh, totally different. Uh, Benny is, uh, uh, Benny was a genius. But more importantly, he was more of a coach than a teacher. You know, uh, it, he would watch you uh, and automatically or not instant and instantly he could say things to help you improve. He would also put things in your head. Uh, Gary can speak to that. <laughs> He'd put things in your head that would make you train in a specific way or train harder. And not only that, he wasn't afraid to train with you. I quite never trained with me, ever. You know, I taught the class. He would come out and do a little bit, and that was it. I don't think he ever, he never taught me a kata, ever. Um, whereas Benny was the opposite. But Benny didn't go and lead the classes or anything like that. Um, we'd go to the park and train him, and I went to the park and trained quite a bit. Hanshi, do you want to you want to speak to any of that? Well, it's I'm going along with it. It's his story. I actually want to hear. I would like to hear everything from him to see, to see where <laughs> well, about that came in. What I was really thinking about was the tree story. Oh boy! <laughs> Were you there? Well, that, that's fun. To, no, you. Uh, he told me. Really? Yeah, but it's fundamental to who you are. Um, uh, you're gifted with, you're not gifted. You develop one of the best reverse punches and that tree had a lot to do with it. <laughs> he what, told, did, what did Benny Allen tell you about that sense of hills? What did he tell you? Well, they were in the park training. And uh, like I say, Benny was thinking moves ahead of you, you know? And uh, I guess he decided that Gary had a pretty good reverse punch, but he could improve it. The only thing that was holding him back was the probably the fear of being scored upon, you know. So Benny had him punch a tree really, really hard. Then he had him punch the tree harder, and then harder. And he said, That's the worst thing that can happen to you. <laughs> Nothing bad could ever happen to you after that. Just keep throwing the punch. Now, most people, most coaches wouldn't think of using that as a as a, a training uh tool tool you know now i don't know if that's how gary got the story but that's what benny told me yeah that's pretty good yeah that's more or less it yeah, and you yeah, know where he got that, that benny got that idea from masoyama oh yeah masoyama's story is mostly a myth right but his myth was that he he fought the first all japan karate championship 
and didn't win. And he didn't win because he's a Korean and he discriminated against them. So he went up in the, to a, and lived on a, in a temple on a mountain for a year through the winter and through the summer. And every day he punched and kicked a tree. And at the end of the year, the tree was bent over, like bent right over and dying. And that's where, that was the genesis of uh, Benny's idea to you. So there you go, Sensei. I see you and Masayama, tree killers. Famous <laughs> <laughs> Benny coached. Wally was just a remarkable karate fighter. <laughs> but Ted was every bit as remarkable. Now, Benny had never seen Kanazawa Sensei. And I think he might have seen Okazaki, but he'd never seen or trained with either of those two people. And Kanazawa was the first JK champion. Okazaki was the first. Okazaki founded with him and Ishiyama started the JK instructors program. If you look at the old textbooks of Nakayama Sensei, it's uh, Okazaki doing the kicks, Nishiyama doing the punches. Okazaki's a great kicker. And Benny patterned his teaching for Wally on Okazaki and his teaching of Ted on Kanazawa, which consisted of a front kick and a reverse punch, whereas Wally's was the circular movements, the, the cat stance footwork, and roundhouse kicks to the head. And, uh, and then he let them play to see what happened. And he turned to two of the best fighters ever. Sam Molesky was talking about going to the uh, going to the karate tournament in Ottawa, Andre Lagellier's uh, a big tournament at uh, Lansdowne. And uh, I think I think I'm pretty sure Ted ended up winning that tournament, beating Wally. Yeah, he did. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, Ted was coaching me that day. And Sam said that Wally won, but it was Ted that won. Uh, I I was fourth. Uh, I'm kind of lucky because Wally seated himself into the lightweight division, and I would have had to fight Wally next. <laughs> the guy that did fight Wally got a horrendous beating. At least he, he ended up get, he ended up getting disqualified because Wally kept hitting him and hitting him and hitting him, and he bent him right over in the ring. And then the guy came back and Jean Guy Chiron from Ottawa, and he and he hit Wally. And uh, he got disqualified for hitting Wally, which was just kind of nonsense. But it was a good way to get out of the tournament. And yeah, that's what what uh, Benny was able to see an idea and then translate it into other people doing it, which is way beyond what I could do. Uh, Benny liked what I could do. I could line people up and make them work real hard and teach them simple stuff and make them repeat it and yada 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 i'm a simple skeleton kind of guy not a uh not a deep thinker when it comes to teaching like he was oh uh firefighters you know benny allen was a firefighter right uh I thought of as a bit of a flake around the fire department mostly because he practiced all the time and uh and weapons would go flying around the fire hall all the time. <laughs> and uh, he was more interested in martial arts by far than he was in, in being a... And Toronto Fire Department was a kind of a discipline-oriented place. So to, <laughs> to piss him off, they sent him to work on Toronto Island, the fire hall there. And uh, they thought it as punishment 
and he loved it because there was an old rundown hall. The building's still there. They've moved from there. But what he would do is he'd take the truck outside on the apron, and then he could practice all day. They had no calls. It was Mayberry Fire Department was more busy than Toronto Island Fire Department. And, uh, and the other thing is, do you know how many members of the Canadian Martial Arts Hall of Fame are Toronto firefighters? All kinds. Kim Dunn, Dave Murray, uh, Ted Youngblood. Uh, list goes on. I can't remember. Everybody but me. <laughs> Which is okay. It's not okay. That's no, not no. No, no. I agree with him. It's no. not okay. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I'm retired. Yeah, well, uh, some of the people in the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame are retired from life. So that's... Uh, you're not yeah, well, retired to be in the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. You should be in the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame, Sensei Hill. And anybody who's listening to this who disagrees with me feel free to give me a call and i'll explain to you why you're wrong well <laughs> I, I don't need to be i had enough i enjoyed what i the, the time i i'm sad that i can't teach karate or i don't teach karate anymore but um it was an enjoyable time and i don't need any more rewards for it you know i'm fine i'm i i i Rebel in Gary getting into the Hall of Fame and all the others too, like all kinds of people from there. Yeah. Frank Bear, you know, a guy that never had much impact. Uh, not many people knew who Frank Bear was, but he was a fabulous man, fabulous, fabulous knowledge. I learned more Shorn Root Karate from Frank Bear in maybe two or three sessions that he helped me with Kata than I did all this. <laughs> we changed from Chitoru to Shorinru after Koi went to uh, Asia for six months. He spent two months in Japan at Yoko at Yamaguchi Stojo, two months in Hong Kong at a praying mantis school, and two months with Nagamini Sensei in, in Okinawa. Came home from being a Nidan in Kempo or something to being a yodan which is a high rank that's just one rank below soroka at the time in uh matsubaya shorinru and he had to learn 27 new kata and teach it to all of us it was a mess <laughs> absolute, <laughs> absolute mess but frank bear who was uh, had been in okinawa for years with nagamini uh helped them make those films i don't know if you ever saw the films that they have recording of uh from the 1960s. Um, so when he came back, uh, Frank used to come and help us with, uh, help me with kata, and then I would teach the kata to the other students. There was a lot of resentment to the switch over from, we did a combination of Chitoru and Kung Fu, sort of like the way Eastern Karate was a combination of Chitoru and Chinese martial art from, uh, from Benny. Well, I can tell you one thing, Sensei Hill. Sensei Copeland's loving this conversation. He's just, he's lighting up the, the chat here. and uh, Really? Yeah, he's saying uh, one of the best guests ever. Uh, love the stories. And he said, then the last thing he said is, I love this guy, man. So you got 
Sensei really? Copeland's out there loving this show right now, and we love him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a wonderful man. Sure is. Good fighter. Good fighter. Oh. Sorry, I'm excellent fighter. I saw him fight the world championships one time. I think, Rand, were you there, Randy? Yeah, in Hamilton. Yeah. Excellent fighter. Randy, yes. I, I heard you say you were fighting in Venezuela. What tournament was that? That tournament was the World Congress of Amateur Athletics. Um, and that was on Margarita Island. And I can't remember, like, it was, they called it a world championships in that association. And, yeah. but I don't remember the specific name of that. And then I took a year off after that because I got injured. And then I fought again with a different association, the, um, the World uh, Fraternity of Martial Arts. That was the one I fought in Panama and Dominican Republic. Ah. <laughs> Just, there was a strong tradition of Shotokan karate in Venezuela. And uh, there, there was. I'll tell you something funny, Sensei Hales, is Sensei Legacy and I were training on the beach one morning, and there was some guy fishing, and he was like, Literally, like you could see him on this peninsula, and he was probably like two miles away from us. And since this year, training on the beach, we're doing katas, and you know, we're looking at this guy because you can see him staring at us. All of a sudden, he slams his fishing rod down and starts running down the beach to us, right? <laughs> and he slams to a halt and bows to us, and he can't speak any English and does Kusanku Dai, the Shotokan version of. <laughs> Thank you, die right there in front of us. Do you remember that, right? Sense <laughs> like wonderful. Yeah, that that's. <laughs> I live right by the water, right by the Western Gap, the entrance of the city harbor, and there's a seawall along, and it's quiet down there. So when I could still walk around, I would go practice out there, and uh, I'm practicing, and then an older Chinese man comes by. Does the Chinese watch? And I stop and watch him do a form. Then I do another form. Then he'd do another form. Then I do another form. Then <laughs> that went back and forth for the longest time, which I, it, it, those kind of things are heartwarming. Though in Venezuela, it would be even better. Yeah, the beach was nice and it was warm and the yeah. water was really clean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in, I, in Florida for, um, do you remember the name Ted Kresge? He used to have uh, the U.S. Nationals, it was called. It was held in the second week of October every year. And uh, many, many Canadians, especially people from Quebec, would go to that tournament. Um, and for us, it was a holiday in the sun. And the tournament was huge. It was uh, in St. Petersburg in the what's now a giant hockey arena. Uh, there'd be a couple thousand competitors. It was a it was a good tournament, and uh, I'm fighting, and uh, I guess it was a third round or something. And this guy from Venezuela, it was a Shotokan guy. So right away I started talking to him before the event, which was a mistake. <laughs> he punched me so hard, I can't remember whether it was the left side or the right side. I can't remember because when you get hit that hard. You can't remember the point of contact. and uh, But he hit me so hard that I had an auditory hallucination. 
I'm in this huge arena full of people and I heard a steam train, not a steam train, uh, a diesel engine come roaring through <laughs> the stadium. And I'm walking around in a big circle. I left the rig, walking around in a big circle. My knees are coming together. <laughs> okay. So the Venezuela guys hit hard. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> oh, that same tournament. You know, the USKA guys are big and tough. The original founders of the USKA, they're almost all ex-military guys who, who trained in Okinawa and then they came home and, you know, so Parker Shelton is one of them. He was a pretty good USK fighter, but a big man. So I, I take some students who were in, uh, were at that tournament, and one of them's an orange belt. And he's 20 years old. He just uh, finished playing junior hockey, played for the Peets. And he's a great Canadian kid, tough, thought he was a tough kid. So he didn't know much about etiquette in the ring. And uh, he kept... But he kept talking and Parker Shelton warned him to be quiet. And then the second time he kept fighting after Parker Shelton said break. Well, I was way up at the stands. The next thing I know, Nick is a consider well, he's a full-grown hockey player. He's you know 190 pounds or so. Parker Shelton had grabbed him by the uniform and lifted his feet off the ground and was giving him a severe talking to. <laughs> then he put him down, basically patted him on the head and sent him back to his line. But Nick didn't win that fight. <laughs> so like let's that. look around the horn here on what you just talked about, the auditory hallucination. Sensei Suino, what's the hardest you've ever been hit without getting knocked out? And what did it do to you? Uh, <clears throat> in my case, it was the hardest I've ever been thrown. Uh, at the Kanagawa Budokan, which Randy has been to, um on a judo mat that's about the size of an american football field absolutely amazing place um the college teams used to come play there and in the months leading up to one of the big tournaments the the place was always packed on thursdays and saturdays and i was stupid enough to um uh you know walk over to one of the guys and say hey let's let's play round so he's like okay and for three or four minutes we just fought really, really, really hard. And I was just being defensive and I didn't let him throw me. And then for some reason, there was this second and I go, oh, he's relaxing now. So I relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he threw me with uh, an uchimata and launched me into the air, fell down on top of me. And when I got up, my left shoulder was down about here. <laughs> <laughs> which is the classic judo injury, right? It was the most yep. complex shoulder separation I've ever had. Dislocation here, here, and here. And um, uh, thank goodness there are a lot of bone doctors in judo. So there was a, a Honetsugi, a Japanese bone doctor there. And he goes, listen, this is going to suck, but we're going to put it back in now because if you wait, it's going to be a lot worse. So uh, they put my shoulder back in and then he goes, go up to the headquarters office and tell them what happened. And I told you this story before, but... Um, I run up there and I go, hey, I dislocated my shoulder. What do you do? And the guy goes, stay right there. So he took a whole roll of sports tape. He put a Japanese like uh, 25 cent piece on the point of my shoulder where that clavicle bone dislocated and taped it down with strips of sports tape and said, leave it on there till it rots off. <laughs> and I go, are you serious? And he goes, 100%. 
this is all Japanese, so I'm probably paraphrasing. Um, but I did, when I took it off, that bone, it healed back in place. And it held the clavicle back down in the joint and it healed back in place. Thank goodness. You know, I walked home 28 years old with a bag of ice on my shoulder going, boy, I'm a, I'm a fucking baller. I just got my shoulder dislocated. I feel fine. Got a couple <laughs> beers, went home, passed out, woke up at three in the morning. It was the most pain I've ever been in my uh. life. <laughs> So anyway, I don't recommend it, but that's the hardest I've ever been hit. I got hit with the with the entire entire Budokan. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's sensitive. Like I say, I can remember a few times. One that stands out in my mind was I was a fairly newly minted black belt and since spent a lot of time fighting with me, like thousands of hours, which I'm super grateful for. I remember one time. It was in a forum fight. Like there was a whole bunch of people fighting. I was one of the last fights since Legacy. And I thought, man, I'm going to launch this back fist at his head. And I just thought this was a good idea. It was a really fucking stupid idea because <laughs> like in about two thirds of the way through my launch, I just felt his fucking fist crushing my rib cage. And like I instantly like fell onto the ground and, and he landed like, he grabbed a hold of me on top of me and like whispered in my ear, great fight, Randy. And I was like, I don't feel like it was a great fight right now. Like, I don't feel like that was a great fight. But uh, that's one that jumps to mind right now for me. Um, yeah. And again, like since Sino's talking about, I was super excited when I left that I had, you know, I had battled with the sensei. But uh, the next day when I, you know, went to lift my hands over my head to put my t-shirt on, I, I remembered that I had just been in a, a battle with somebody who knew a lot more than me. <laughs> but you, Hansi, hardest you've been hit? I would have to say it was at the Canadian National Exhibition uh, where I was actually a brown belt and my sensei called me up to his stands and put his black belt on me and sent me down. And uh, I fought all the way to for first and second. And uh, I faced John Lafitte. You remember John Lafitte? Yeah. 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 And um, Joe. Joe Lafitte. Yeah. It was a good fight, you know, up and down. Uh, I was just lucky to be there. And all of a sudden, I decided I'm going to rush this guy. Next thing I know is the stars came out. And as I was looking straight out there, I saw my feet too hurt like that. And I just, my whole body just hit the ground. It took me about, you know, maybe a second or two to get a hold of myself and stand back up. That was, that was probably the hardest I've ever been. What year was that? 73? 73, yes. Yeah. Rick Johnson. Fought Rick Johnson there. Um, Tony Vicetti was there. Tony didn't fight, though. I never got to fight him. No, for no, some reason... Tony didn't like fighting in tournaments. No, I saw he'd always say he'd always say he was going to fight, and then he wouldn't fight. Well, I saw him one time. He's training underneath the bleachers. It was scary just watching him train. <laughs> <laughs> one time they had a uh, the first Canadian professional karate championships, and it was before sparring equipment. It was 1968, I think. And it was at the uh, Polish Hall up the street from here. And it was, I think, a $250 prize. And about 16 guys showed up. Um, but Tony was one of them. 
and uh, it was full contact with no gear. Uh, but Tony managed to get disqualified because he broke a guy's jaw, uh, but he broke the jaw badly. So, so he lost his $250. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> it, was um, it was different in those days than today. It was the bare knuckles. Like you went to a tournament, the biggest thing you ever saw was one of those little stretch elastic gloves with a little piece of rubber in it. Remember those? Yep. Yeah. That was the biggest you ever wore. And that wasn't for the other guy. It was so when you punched him in the teeth, his teeth wouldn't go into your knuckles and stuff. <laughs> bit different. You know, Sensei, like, honestly, like, even when you were running the Funakoshi Classic and then you changed it to the Matsumura, like, I mean, my first five times fighting in the black belt division of that tournament, there was no equipment. We just wore our mouthpiece. I mean, I yeah. have a picture on the wall there of me fighting Tim Black with no equipment on in the finals of a equipment's like a relatively new thing, I think. And it's mostly imposed upon us by insurance companies. Yes. Well, the safety equipment changes what we did yeah. um, a lot. And when you were running your Funakoshi Cup, um, you insisted on no contact. And when Sensei Legacy says no contact, he means no contact. <laughs> People use control. And that way it's still safe. It's when people aren't rigorous in uh, judging. Mm. Um, I'm just gonna chip and in work. and say, um, I've talked in the past about seeing stars in the squash courts, but actually in those very same squash courts where I would say I earned my stripes with you, Sensei Tofa, I've still got a knot on my ribs about the size of my uh, pinky sticking out from, from one of those same punches. So. I've been hit the hardest in the head uh, by you and also the ribs. Uh, I still got that one. Um, but Sensei Hales, let's come back to you. And it's time now for your 10 questions. So we ask all our guests the 10 questions. And we ask that you answer as impulsively as you can and elaborate as you need afterwards. What is the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Reverse punch. We have heard that around here before. <laughs> it um, depends on the time, though. Like, there was a maybe a five or seven year period where foot sweeps to set up the reverse punch were uh, what I did. Um, but long before that, it was kicking. Before I broke my leg, I was a kicker. Um, um, then I would did foot sweeps and punched a lot until I tried it once too often on Gary in the basement of his townhouse. And uh, I, I forget, I think your counter was a spin kick or something like that, but it taught me not to do it anymore. Um, but I'd have to go with the reverse punch. Um, who's the most influential martial artist in your life? Um, later in life, it was Tanaka Sensei. Tanaka was uh, world champion twice in the JK World Tournaments. Uh, he was also the uh, international uh, instructor. So he would come to Canada. He would come to my dojo uh, once a year. Um, he was important um, 
it's important to me. I learned uh, learned a lot. More importantly, it's filtered down to my students. Uh, technique got better. Um, uh, before that, uh, Kanazawa was important to me. Kanazawa was still with the JKA when I was there. He'd left shortly after I was there. And uh, it just he impressed me as a human being, not to mention his technique. Oh, that was something I liked about the JKA is uh, uh, the first dance weren't very good. The second dance were okay. And I was a knee dan, I think, when I was there. Uh, the third dance were better than me. The fourth dance were better than the third dance. The fifth dance were better than the fourth dance. The sixth dance were better than the fifth dance. Kanazawa was an eighth degree black belt and uh, Mikio Yahara was just acting crazy, hurting people, breaking their jaw. Uh, he had great hook kick, but he lost to a Portuguese guy. No, he lost to a Brazilian guy in the world tournament and it angered him. So every time he heard somebody speaking Portuguese, he broke their jaw with a hook kick. <laughs> so, <laughs> we used to have about 40 people, 35, 40 people every day and they call it the special class, but it's for foreigners, you know? So we have 40 people every day. Well, Miki Yohara thought on Wednesday and he did Kumite only. Well, it went from 40 to 30 to mm. 20 to 10. And I went one day and there was eight of us, you know? And of course we're all, you know, the numbers are getting lower. You're going, hey, my job, <laughs> you know, you're worried about your job. And I show up and, Kanazawa was there and he stood there while in the class while Yohara taught and Yohara behaved like a puppy that had been spanked, you know, and he was a fierce guy. Right. And, and he, he would, he would be doing that because it was polite, but it's also because Kanazawa could kill him. <laughs> and it's kind of cool to see the eighth odds that much better than the fifth, sixth and seventh. Anyways. So Kanazawa is influential on Amazing. Who do you think is the most influential martial artist of all time and why? Oh, uh, that's easy. Nakayama Sensei. Nakayama Sensei is credited with the, they say Funakoshi founded the, the Japan Karate Association. He was a very, very elderly man at the time. And certainly, they, certainly he was there. It was Nakayama Sensei that, was the driving force behind it. And, and if Funakoshi and the other Okinawans are the ones that introduced the Okinawan martial art to Japan, which became Japanese karate eventually, Nakayama took it from being a Japanese activity to being a worldwide activity. A lot of it has to do with the uh, um, American Armed Forces personnel in that thing called Strategic Air Command, SAC, they were bombers that stayed in the air all the time after, during the Cold War. And they were stationed in, in uh, Japan. And uh, the Japanese Martial Arts Federation, which is probably what we know as EMOF, uh, Kokusubudoin, I think it was. But they would have these guys train one day a week with uh, Ueshiba Sensei, who was still alive then one day a week with uh, Funakoshi Sensei, with Nakayama doing the teaching, uh, and one day a week with uh, people from uh, the Kodokan, and one day a week with Kendo. And all those, uh, uh, those guys went on to be 
to spread karate to America. Mm. Um, and from that, uh, so Nakayama is the most influential. Uh, first of all, the karate that Nakayama did was much different than the karate that Funakoshi did. Uh, but the key thing is he took it from being a Japanese activity, an elite Japanese activity, to being world. When he died, he had 10 million students. 10 million people paying fees to the Japan Karate Association and keeping a keeping a pretty good standard. So you'd, I'd have to say that it's him. Right on. What excites you most about the next five years of your martial arts? That's a tough question. Uh, connect, reconnecting with old friends. There you go. Well, I have to do the training. So I can't really walk anymore, so I can't really train. <laughs> when I do when I do Tai Chi now, I have to do it seated. Yeah, oh, that's what that's what excites me over the next five years. You're still doing it though, Sensei. You're still doing it. Yeah, trying. Yeah. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get there? I got no catch. Red winner. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> I no catch. And point to me. <laughs> Love it. Um, do you have a favorite film or television martial artist? Uh, well, favorite film would have to be uh, Kuro Obi. It was um, I don't know. I don't know if you have seen it. It's a it's a um, movie set in Japan during the war, and I think the story of Yagi's belt is is really what it is. And uh, so there's an older Okinawan master. He has several. He has three students, and uh, one is a little more showy than the others. One's a dedicated student. One's just all around good guy, and uh, the evil. Uh, Japanese military police come and uh, tell them they're going to take over their dojo and turn it into a comfort station for, for uh, they're going to run prostitution out of their dojo. And um, so there's a confrontation and the old man is killed. Uh, that's that film anyways. Uh, and this, the guy who emerges as a star is uh, Yagi Sensei. He's uh, He's a JK instructor, uh, a good guy. Um, the film is really good. Kuro, Kuro Obi, which means black belt. That sounds awesome. Um, do you have a martial artist living or dead in all of history who you'd want to train with the most? Well, the one I enjoyed training with the most was Kanazawa. Second would be uh, Osaka. Uh, and Nakayama third, Nakayama sensei, uh, you know, was head instructor at JKA, but he had a little dojo in the basement of the apartment building he lived in. It's called the Hoitsugan. And uh, they have a small dormitory that foreign students stay there. And we used to call it the Hoitsugan and the Hoitsustai. The dormitory we called the Hoitsustai because it wasn't the cleanest place in the world. And the dojo, that's one thing about my small dojo. I didn't feel bad about my small dojo because the Hoitsugan 
which is the personal dojo of Nakayama Sensei, is the same size. You know, it was anyway. So that I took morning classes with Nakayama Sensei three days a week uh, at seven o'clock in the morning. So that, that would probably be the best teaching I ever had. Amazing. And then um, if everyone in the world could have the greatest benefit you've gotten from martial arts, whether they train or not, what benefit would they be getting? You're a tough man. That's a tough question for an old guy like me. The benefit that I got or that I would want everybody to get? Um, Both. The searching, the struggle, the uh, <laughs> it's a it's a thorny path. Uh, you never get there. <laughs> you never get that. It's, you don't get any self satisfaction. You're not going to say, "Oh, I got this. It's done. I've learned everything. I don't need it anymore." You keep struggling, and that's the part. That's that's what makes it enjoyable. Right on. Well, the last two questions come as a pair. Your greatest achievement and your greatest regret. Uh, my greatest achievement is the lessons that the children that took karate with me got and the enjoyment and the intellectual, physical, and spiritual uh, stimulation that the adults who, that took karate with me or took karate with me over the years got. Their mm -hmm. enjoyment of it is the, is the part that I enjoyed the most. Um, yeah, I think that's that's good enough, I think. Sure. Greatest regret? Um, um, physical failings. Uh, I'd still be training um, if my body hadn't given up. But there's not much you can do about that, you know? Yeah, so that's my, I don't know if it's a regret, but. It's a reality. Thanks, Sensei. Um, I know Sensei Dolphin has a question, but I do want to go to one that we had come in. And uh, this is from Zainab Tello. I hope I'm saying that right. And he wants to know, Sensei Gary Hales, do you find teaching martial arts as fulfilling as learning? Well, <laughs> Gary's always, Gary, Legacy Sensei has always had a teacher, always made sure he had a teacher. Well, I haven't really had a teacher in a very long time. So I don't get all that much of a chance to learn. Uh, yeah, it's a problem, not a problem. I, I got saddled with being an instructor when I was 19 years old. And, uh, and it's been a long time. By the way, uh, ZT is one of the young up and coming rock stars uh at jmac and uh as a matter of fact uh it's it's a she's a female and um but as a young rock star involved in several martial arts at jmac and has kind of found a second home there so i hope we see zt as we affectionately call her uh again and again on punch kick choke chat nice nice to have you here sensei dofan what did you want to get into about uh his his experiences uh, okay, who since you know ZT, do I know her? Do you know ZT? Yeah, ZT was, I think, at one of the crucibles, right? Oh, okay. All right. 
So thanks for joining in, ZT. I'll yep, uh, yep. look forward to the next time I'm there foot sweeping you and hitting you with a reverse punch, uh, Gary Hales style, Sensei Gary Hales style. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, wait a minute. Before you go, before you go there, um, when Hachi came down to our dojo um, on Friday and we did a little Iaido, I asked him to teach a karate class. So he taught about an hour and a half karate class, and it was phenomenal, of course. And one of my favorite moments was um, another young man, Vihan, who's uh, who's uh, entertaining as hell. Um, Hanchi called him up and was demonstrating some stuff on him and showing a little bit about distance and kind of throwing a fist in his face. And then I can't remember if Hanchi encouraged him to step forward or if Vihan stepped forward on his own, but uh, Hanchi foot swept him. And it was just, it was like the electric current turned off. <laughs> he went to the ground in like under a half a second. It was so awesome to see. Everybody had a smile on their face, but it was just, it was just amazing because uh, it went from zero to hundred miles an hour under reaction time. All right. Anyway, sorry. That was a digression. That's a good digression. Yeah. yeah. So Sensei Hills, what I, you mentioned a bunch of names like Nakayama, like I, I remember watching a video of him throwing a roundhouse kick from a disc, like an eight millimeter. Oh yeah. The eight millimeter films. Yeah. Yeah, throwing a roundhouse kick at somebody from a distance that I thought was impossible and like landing it. Um, but one of my personal heroes, I just love the the man is Kenazawa Sensei. And I've never heard a person ever say anything negative about him. Like nobody, not Patricia Beauregard, not, not Wilfred Seradin, nobody ever says anything negative about Kenazawa. And I want to say, you know, Sensei Benson trained with Nishiyama for a while, like trained with him in Los Angeles for a while. And like my favorite picture in a book that Sensei Legacy gave me is a picture of Kenizawa and Nishiyama standing there like squared off. And, you know, Kenizawa's gi is opened a little bit and you can just see like the physical conditioning of him. I would really love to hear you uh, share, like the stories you've been telling have been so great. I would love to hear any stories you have of Kenazawa sensei and your impressions of him. Like you already said as an eighth, then he could kick the shit out of everybody, which makes me so happy to hear that. But yeah. Anything okay. you want to share with us about him? So he's here for a seminar and we go to Trinity Bellwood's recreation center. And uh, Shona Milligan was, uh, um, her and Wilfred were the most senior they were both Sandans at this time. And Shona's pretty uh, outgoing. And uh, Kanazawa said, we're doing something. Like, you know, you combine Tai Chi and Karate, right? So Kanazawa says, come here, feel my fingers. And he makes the beak head. And she goes like that and draws her hands away. They're, they're freezing cold, you know? And then he goes, draws his hands down again, and she touched them, and they almost burnt her. How do you do that? It's got nothing to do with, I don't think it has much to do with karate. Might have something to do with Tai Chi. I can't quite figure that out. I did see him do a pretty good breaking demonstration. He had four bricks. And he said, which brick do you want me to break? The bottom one. He breaks the bottom one. Put four more bricks. Which brick do you want me to break? The second one. He breaks the second one and on and on. He breaks each one in turn. And then he breaks all four. 
And I think that's an example of depth of chemo, depth of focus, you know, hit you in the ribs and break your spine kind of thing, you know? Uh, I, don't know. I heard that he, uh, I don't know if this is a rumor or some, or an urban myth that I want to believe, but I heard that at a certain point, Kenazawa actually traveled to Okinawa to study Okinawan karate for a while because he wanted to know the root of what he was oh, doing. Oh, no, he, yeah, he did that, yeah. He, he had a firm understanding of more than just the JKA. Uh, and also, he was really good at Tai Chi. Uh, I took Tai Chi with the same person that taught him, Yang Ming Shi. Um, and he, he taught Nakayama, but Nakayama never admitted that he did Tai Chi, never admitted it. Oh, when you're talking about Nakayama kicking, what you got to remember is though that those films were shot after he had a skiing accident. He broke both his legs really badly in a ski accident. And he was 59 at the time. And I thought, well, he broke his leg skiing. He skied off a cliff. <laughs> he didn't fall <laughs> going down a a run he skied off a cliff and fell a long way breaking both legs and he was always pretty wobbly on his legs after that but as you can see in that that film he still kicked well he even did the jump kick in Unsu pretty good you know i've always kind of i had a bad knee i've always had a bad knee and um, i'm doing Unsu in class and i'm making excuses for it and he goes mm, you're okay <laughs> And then mm -hmm. I found out what had happened to him before. Uh, yeah. What else did Kanazawa do? Oh, uh, Nishiyama's senior to Kanazawa, you know. So, uh, like I said before, whatever Nishiyama said, Kanazawa would do right away. You know. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, if you don't want me telling you, Sensei Hills, when I went with uh, Sensei Legacy and and Sensei Benson, we were in Nishiyama's dojo in Los Angeles, and Sean and I were standing there, and he came around the corner, and I stood at attention, and then he started, like, shuffling towards us, like, at the slowest speed, and I said <laughs> to Sensei Benson, I said, this was a mistake to stand at attention, right? And he goes, yep, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> It took him like so long. We stood there in Koiski for so long waiting for him. But when he got on the floor, man, when he got on the floor, he started he moving around. Yeah, yeah he could get around still. Nothing yeah, was... in his dojo. Nothing in his dojo ex on any wall except for a picture of Funakoshi. That's the only thing he had in his dojo. Bob Dalvish trained there for two years. Oh. When he went to California, he trained there for he knew more Shotokan karate than I did. <laughs> so we promoted, he promoted uh, Caesar and I to Niden. And uh, I used to worry because he was a Kojiru guy, but he used to coach me all the time in, in Shotokan Kata. Yeah. Sensei Hales, I hate to put a little bit of a limit on the time for this question, but I don't want to end quite yet. And there's something that's come up with you more than any other guest. And you even mentioned it in relation to Benny Allen and the Chinese stuff. Talk to us about Tai Chi. When I met with Sensei Bill Hines 25 years ago, he talked about his Tai Chi. Um, and, and, you know, what is that? Where does that fit in the faster moving fighting arts? And they're what was that? Yeah, they're all, they're all the same. You know, karate, Tai Chi, Chinese martial arts, they're all the same. They're just uh, 
done at different tempos. Uh, and, and we use the word Tai Chi or Dai Chi, but we should be saying Tai Chi Chuan. You know, we should be saying the, the proper fistic aspect of it uh, because it is a martial art. It's not just, it's not just movements. Uh, there's not a lot of difference. Uh, you know, um, oh, I know. The scientific principles that Nakayama used to interpret karate, as opposed to the spiritual principles that Funakoshi used to demonstrate in karate, well, that spirituality still runs Tai Chi. Mm. There's no science. In the, that's a big difference, you know? It's what you, yeah, it's all about how you feel, not about, and what you believe, as opposed to uh, what you can prove. But Thanks, then again, sir. I just practice Tai Chi. I, I, I don't teach Tai Chi. Well, on some level, you just taught us some Tai Chi. So that's really awesome. Um, Sensei Hales, we've barely gotten in to you and your life. I mean, quite literally barely. And I, I know that I echo Sensei Copeland's sentiments about what an absolutely incredible chat this is. The way we end our shows is we do what we call going around the horn. So we're all going to talk a little bit about our time with you. And then we're going to throw it to you for the last word before some housekeeping. So Hanchi Legacy, what do you want to say about our conversation tonight? It's like uh, talking to, I don't know, just like talking to uh, the same guy I knew. We, we talked about it earlier. I've known him and been in martial arts with him for 52 years. I was probably closer to 50, maybe. But um, he's the same guy. He hasn't changed a bit. Same enthusiasm, same knowledge. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just sort of like trying to describe your brother. And I truly mean that. So yep. He was um, he's one of the first guys who actually looked at John Pearson and I and probably for some reason thought, you know, these guys look sincere. I'm gonna he just came and started teaching us. We've been friends ever since. And um it was great seeing you at our tournament. It was great seeing you today and you know, we should keep a, a certain uh, rhythm to our getting together. Okay. I, I really mean that. Thank you. Thank you. Sensei Suino? Well, this is such a great conversation. Sensei Hales, uh, it was great to meet you at the tournament recently and now to be actually be able to converse and listen to your thoughts. You know, I consider myself a practitioner of martial arts. Uh, but you have a delightful combination of having done the martial arts and also uh, a knowledge of history, which uh, I have a much a much smaller knowledge of that. And just it's just so much fun to listen to people talk about martial arts history, uh, who can also walk the walk, so to speak, who also can do the martial arts. I know you can't do them the way you once once did, but there's no question that that you were accomplished at one time. So I learned uh, actually quite a bit tonight. And I look forward to talking again, hopefully in more detail about some of these things. Thanks, Thank you. Sensei Dofa. Listen, for me, this is uh, what Punch K Choke Chat was supposed to be. Um, and, you know, I know Sensei Hills, is, he had some trepidation about coming on to talk to us, but I want to just say that we've kind of hit the apex now of what Punch K Choke Chat is and what we wanted it to be which is a conversation 
amongst a bunch of martial artists telling stories, learning from each other. And that's what this has been for me. It's, and it's very, it feels very familiar and it like, it makes me feel very confident about what I teach to my students and what I say to my students, because Sensei Hills has just corroborated so many things that I've preached to people that I didn't have firsthand knowledge of. Um, and he's, you know, it's just so great to hear that. I, I love Sensei Hills. I always write down a bunch of notes. So um, I loved your thoughts on Okinawan versus Japanese karate. And I also like that you said it's all the same. Like you, you buttoned it all up in the end by at the end saying it's all the same, right? Um, <laughs> it was like judo, but you get to hate people. Like, <laughs> I freaking love that, right? Um, yeah, Kwai Wong is one of those people who his name comes up so often, but you were the first person to really delve out a bunch of his history and give us a really good flavor of what type of an instructor he was and a person. So thank you for that. Um, it's so cool that you're at a tournament when you got to see um, Joe Lewis be Chuck Norris, right? And saying that uh, Joe Lewis had some temper tantrums. That makes me, that makes me smile too. Um, um, it's all, I love uh, Sensei Batrack, School Batrack. Like I, that guy, like, I didn't know that you taught his first karate class. That's awesome that I, that's a new piece of history for me that will live on in this dojo when I'm teaching forever now, now that you brought that out um loved all the stuff that you said about benny allen like i he's my greatest regret that i never got to meet him or train with him and uh so any i always have a thirst for knowledge about him and so when you tell stories about him i'm really grateful to hear those things um the fire hall like i can picture him like pulling the truck out and just and not giving a shit that everybody's making fun of him and they're thinking they're punishing him by sending him somewhere but he's like this is outstanding i have all this time to train like that's i <laughs> i love that um you know frank bear somebody who's been on my radar nobody's really talked about him until you came on so uh very interesting glad he taught you sharanru and you got to learn a lot from him uh you said venezuelans hit hard I can tell you, I got disqualified in the finals of that tournament. Uh, like, so I got second place. And the person that I fought from Venezuela, his name was Omar. And when we left the ring, he came to me and he said, in my country, that's not contact. So he was expecting me to hit him <laughs> even harder. Right? So, um, I love that reverse punch. That's uh, all the karate people, Sensei Copeland, Sensei Legacy, me, anybody who's been on here who said most effective weapon, we've all said reverse punch. Um, I loved hearing the stuff about Nakayama. 10 million students is a crazy number. Um, before that number, it was Hanshi Burkowski's numbers that I was always like in awe of. And now I'm like, oh, Hanshi Burkowski is like, needs to work his way towards uh Nakiyama sensei like that's that's where we need to move things um and I agree with you it's hard to say that he's not the most influential with 10 million students that's that's uh <laughs> Akonakach red is the winner I like that <laughs> like, I, I, I like that um and it's funny because when you said it I could hear sensei Copeland saying it you said it with a very similar uh tone to him um um it's a thorny path and you never get there 
the struggle is what you wish everybody could have and embrace the suck, right? Like, I like that. Um, didn't know that uh, since the Delgleish promoted uh, you and Hunchy Burkowski to second then. That's also a very little interesting piece of history. Um, the last thing I want to go out on uh, as a quote is Tai Chi's about what you believe rather than what you can prove. I think every martial artist should take that away a little bit and think about it that your martial arts is about what you believe and not what you can prove to other people. And since uh, the Hills, I'm really proud you'd come on here. I'm Well, I don't have 50 years with you and I don't have the friendship that you and Sense of Legacy have. I'm really proud to have known you for all of my martial arts career. I'm really proud of the way our martial arts, my first cut with you and how I met you. I'm really proud of that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, whatever you need from me, I'm so happy and proud to have you on here today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks, Sensei. Um, such a pleasure, Sensei Hills. This conversation has been such a delight. And I could just, everything you talked about, I wish I could have cracked open for another half hour. The show doesn't work that way, but I, I wish it could some nights. Um, you know, I wrote down a couple of things. I just love when you talked about, you know, Benny Allen's one type of teacher. And when you said, I'm just a simple skeleton kind of guy. And I, I, we don't need anybody to be any way, but I think everybody should know themselves a little better than they probably do. And when you said that that's how you are, then that's what we need from you or, or what your students would have needed. And so that's really awesome. And you just said so simply, I don't need any more awards for it about your time as a martial artist and your teaching. And whether they come or not, I know you meant that. And it was a really beautiful thing. Um, and I did write down the same thing, Sensei Dolphin, say, you know, when I asked you the, the benefit you'd want to bestow, the searching and the struggle. And every time our other guests have said things, and we tend to agree with most of it, like who doesn't want the confidence or the whatever, but they all come as a result of the searching and the struggle. So I really like that sort of first principles approach to how you get all the other benefits. So it's such a pleasure to hear you tonight and get to know you. And uh, what, what do you want to say as your final word on this show? Uh, just a, a fabulous group you've got there. And thanks for doing this for the larger martial arts community. Uh, uh, I assume you have a pretty wide presence with YouTube and everything. So that's great. Thank you. Thank you, Sensei. Um, so I've got a couple quick thanks, but first, Sensei Dofan, why don't you tell us what's coming up for everybody? Uh, what's coming up is uh, we got Scott Taylor, a good friend of all of ours. Um, he He's a grappling guy. I don't even want to say like what his background is. We'll let him explain it. Like, But it's not, it's BJJ-ish, but more traditional Japanese. Uh, and it's not judo. So I, it's very interesting. He's the only one of his ilk that we've ever had on here. Um, and then we got... Uh, I went last week to the butcher shop to uh, to train in BJJ with a former uh, student of Legacy Sharner, Scott Watson. He invited me and Sydney Dauphin down there. And lo and behold, when I went out onto the floor, Chris Hardecki was uh, on the floor training. And if you don't know who Chris Hardecki is, go watch him as an 18-year-old in the IFL knocking out guys unconscious um, who are like 30 and 35 years old. They Polish power that like, so I took the opportunity to just walk up to him and say, Hey champ, like, you know, we do this thing, punch, kick, choke, chat. And he said, 
And I said, you know, we've had Mark on, Mark Hominick, who because they run Adrenaline together. He said, oh, yeah, I know that show. I'd love to come on. So he's coming on on the 13th and can't wait to chat with him, too. It's uh, He's a nice person and a great martial artist. So that's what we got coming up. That's awesome, Sensei. Thanks for that. And um, I'm excited to do our thanks tonight because we've added to our crew. So I want to thank Andre Sadashev, Robert Shlumsky, Alden Adair, Jesse Vile Vitao, Dan Holland III, Mike Russell, and Sidney Dauphin and Josh Kitchens. And it was funny because, you know, Robert Shlumsky sent me that and he said, you know, if the, the thanks are getting a bit long. And I said, no, 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 because we're growing what this show looks like and therefore we're growing the team that runs it. So they always deserve our thanks. And uh, adding two names is a beautiful thing for us and for you, because that means uh, everything's a little smoother, even if you don't realize why it's because of them. So thanks to them. Thanks to you for joining us tonight. And Senseis, thank you for making me a part of this and giving me a great Thursday as always. Thanks, thanks everybody. Thanks.